following audio is from Fathom Church in downtown Littleton, Colorado. More information about Fathom can be found at fathomchurch.org. Good morning. Uh, uh, My name is Pam Foles. My husband, Howie, and I started attending here about three months ago, and we're really happy to have found you. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Today's passage is a reading from 1 Samuel, chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. Now the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, Tomorrow about this time I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. When Samuel saw Saul, the Lord told him, Here is the man of whom I spoke to you. He is who shall restrain my people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pam, we're glad you found us too. We are, really. Hey, good morning, church. Happy Sunday to you. You're looking great. Um, Some of you. Okay. uh, Welcome to Fathom Church. My name is Chris. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here. If I didn't get a chance to meet you on the way in, really glad that you'd spend some of your morning with us. Is this ringing a little bit? Just maybe a tad bit down because I might get... Well, I'm going to get loud. Okay, that's just how it happens here. But hey, if you are uh, new with us, the first thing we do every Sunday here is we open up our Bible. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, go ahead and grab it and, and open it up to 1 Samuel chapter 9. Uh, we have those hardback black Bibles under every single chair. You can open those up to 1 Samuel 9. You can open a phone. You can open a tablet. We have a lot of text to cover today, and we don't put verses on screens. So I want you to see this with your eyes, okay? I, see, I, want, I, want, I want you to read the text along with me. If you're online with us, you can click that little Bible tab. Uh, you, you can find it, Google search. 1 Samuel 9 is uh, on page 231 in those hardback black Bibles. Uh, 1 Samuel 9, that's where we're going to be today. We have a lot of text. We're going to try and cover this whole chapter today. Uh, so this will, uh, again, it'll be three, four hours uh, or so. Uh, Broncos are out of it, so it doesn't really matter, right? So we've got time. Uh, and, and we're going we're gonna to start uh, today, we're going to walk through this whole chapter. And what I want to do is um, I, I might skip a couple of verses that don't feed into uh, what we're going to need to talk about today. Don't worry about that. Um, but I, I want you to be familiar with this narrative, this story, before we get to application. So we're going to walk through the whole text, okay? And I'm going to explain it. And then we're going to get to application at the end of the sermon. So this is going to feel boring. Stick with me, okay? Because the payout comes at the end. But you need to know this story. This is a strange story in the text, but I trust that the Lord has this for us this morning. So here we go. First Samuel chapter 9, starting in verse 1. There was a man of Benjamin whose name was Kish. I'm going to skip those names, the son of so on and so on and so on, because I can't pronounce them, okay? Kish, a Benjamite, a man of wealth. Verse 2, and he had a son whose name was Saul. Saul was a handsome man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So our text is set up with an introduction to uh, a guy named Saul. He is the son of Kish, okay? And he is described as handsome twice, 
doubly handsome, okay? Handsome, handsome. He's the handsomest of the handsome, okay? And he's tall. That's what essentially the text said. He's tall and he's handsome. So he's winning in some things, okay? The reason why he's described like that is because Saul is an, he's like a mirror image of how Israel is at this point, okay? That is, from the outside, he really looked the part, From the outside, he was exactly what you would consider a king to be. He might seem even like a godly man. He seems to look the part. But as we'll find out, inwardly, he wants to do his own thing. He's rebellious inwardly. And this is exactly a mirror of where Israel is at this point in their history. Outwardly, they would say, we want to follow God. We want to honor God. We want to be God's people. Outwardly, they would say that. But inwardly... They want to be just like all the other nations. It's what we talked about last week in our text in chapter eight. It was this God plus thing. God plus a king so that we can be like every other nation. And God is going to use Saul to mirror to Israel their own sin. That's what Saul's going to be to Israel. And it's going to work. We'll see. We'll see. Okay, verse three. Verse three. Now, the donkeys of Kish, that's not like an analogy. The donkeys of Kish, he has donkeys, okay? uh, Kish has got some donkeys. The donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to Saul, his son, take one of the young men with you and arise. Go look for the donkeys. Down to verse five. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, come, Let us go back, lest my father cease to care about the donkeys and become anxious about us. So the story goes that Kish loses some donkeys. I'm actually entitling this sermon, if you're taking notes, Lost Donkeys. Because the rest of the text is all all it's about is trying to find the donkeys. This is why this is tricky to apply to our lives. Anybody have a donkey here? We have no donkey owners. Well, this is great, okay? Okay. so, so Kish loses some donkeys. He says to his son, Saul, hey, go find the donkeys. Saul grabs a servant and they go to find them. And, they, and the, the verse we skipped was they go to this place and they go to that place and they go to this place and they go to that place and they end up in Zuf, can't find the donkeys. Saul's like, day's running late. Dad is going to start worrying about us instead of the, the dumb donkeys. Let's go home. That's the story thus far. Verse six. But his servant said to Saul, behold, There's a man of God in this city, and he's a man who is held in honor. All that he says comes true. So now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us the way we should go. Then Saul said to his servant, but if we go, what can we bring the man? For the bread in our sacks is gone, and there's no present to bring to the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again, here, I have with me a quarter of a shekel of silver, and I will give it to the man of God to tell us our way. So the servant that Saul brought with him to find the donkeys says, hey, there's a, there's a man of God. If you were reading a different translation, it might say a seer. Some translations say a prophet, but there's this man of God in this city that we've just shown up at. And Saul's like, we don't have anything to give him. Because at that time, it was by practice necessary to give a gift to a seer, to a prophet, in order to receive some sort of prophecy or, or, or information. And so they, they, they were like, yeah, we don't have anything to give this guy. And interestingly, in verse 8, where it says, uh, the, the servant says, here, I have with me a quarter shekel of silver. If you read the Hebrew, 
the more accurate translation would actually read this. Literally, it would say, here is found in my hand a quarter shekel of silver. It doesn't read very well in the English that way, but it's almost as if the money just turned up. It's almost like he's like, wait a second, I've got something here. It just showed up in my hand. So then, verse 11, as they went up the hill, they're going in to see the man of God. As they went up the hill to the city, they met young women coming out to draw water. And they said to them, is the seer here? They answered, he is. Behold, he's just ahead of you. Hurry, he has come just now to the city because the people have a sacrifice today on the high place. As soon as you enter the city, you will find him before he goes up to the high place to eat. For the people will not eat till he comes since he must bless the sacrifice. Afterward, those who are invited will eat. Now go up for you will meet him immediately. So they went up to the city. And as they were entering the city, they saw Samuel coming out toward them on his way up to the high place. So they meet some girls. Like every good story, they meet a couple dudes, meet some girls as they are heading into the city. And they inquire about this seer, about this prophet, about this man of God. And the girls are like, he's here. He's here. And you're lucky to have found him because he's here for the sacrifice. But you better hurry. You better get moving uh, because he's going to go in, make the sacrifice, come back, eat. You might miss him. So hurry in to the city. So they keep going. And who do they see coming out as they're entering into the city? Well, it's none other than Samuel, Israel's greatest prophet. The man of God is actually Samuel. And now the text is going to do a flashback. So every good movie has a good flashback. This is a flashback to the day before. And this is the crux of the passage. Okay. Verse 15. Now, the day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel, tomorrow about this time, I will send to you a man from the land of Benjamin, and you shall anoint him to be prince. That could also be translated king, to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines, for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. And when Samuel saw Saul... The Lord told him, here's the man of whom I spoke to you. He it is who shall restrain my people. So this is the crux. This is the crux of this chapter of this text. The day before Saul shows up looking for donkeys, God spoke to Samuel and told him all about this young guy, Saul, and he identifies him as Israel's future king. He's going to be the king. So the flashback is I figured this out. Samuel knows who Saul is. Saul has no idea what's about to happen. And now look at verse 18. Then Saul approached Samuel in the gate. Tell me, where is the house of a seer? And Samuel said to Saul, I'm the seer. Go up before me to the high place for today. You shall eat with me. And in the morning I will let you go. And I will tell you all that is on your mind. As for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, do not set your mind on them, for they have been found. And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? Saul answered, am I not a Benjamite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me? In this way. 
Samuel recognizes Saul. Saul does not recognize Samuel until he says, I'm the seer. I am the prophet. But before Saul can say another word about his lost donkeys and give him the half shekel or quarter shekel of silver, Samuel says, hey, let's, let's go to the, to, to the sacrifice. He invites him to stay. He invites them to eat, to stay the night. And then he says, in the morning, I'll tell you everything you need to know. Tomorrow, I'll tell you all that is on your mind. And oh, by the way, don't worry about the donkeys anymore. They've been found. So obviously, this man is a seer. He knows about the donkeys. The donkeys are the thread through this entire text, okay? And then he says something that's really cryptic, kind of cryptic to our eyes. In verse 20, look at this again. In verse 20, he says, And for whom is all that is desirable in Israel? Is it not for you and for all your father's house? That line is tricky, okay? That's a tricky line to to interpret, but I think the best way of reading this is, is, is that when he says, is all that is desirable in Israel, when he says that, it's referring to Israel's desire for a king, like we talked about last week. The, the, the desire of the hearts of the people of Israel is for a king, like all the other nations, and Saul is the answer to that desire. Saul is to become the focus of this Israelite desire for a king. So, so Saul hears this, and he's shocked by it. He says, who am I? I'm from this tiny tribe, and I'm even within the tribe, kind of from this tiny sect in this tribe, the least of the tribes. How is this to be? How am I going to be the hope of all of Israel? Well, let's finish up the text. Verse 22. This ends very anticlimactic. Okay, I'll just let you know that. Verse 22. Then Samuel took Saul and his young man and brought them into the hall and gave them a place at the head of those who had been invited, who were about 30 persons. And Samuel said to the cook, bring the portion I gave you, of which I said to you, put it aside. So the cook took up the leg and what was on it and set them before Saul. And Samuel said, see, that was kept, that what was kept is set before you, eat, because it was kept for you until the hour appointed that you might eat with the guests. So Saul ate with Samuel that day. And when they came down from the high place into the city, a bed was spread for Saul on the roof and he lay down to sleep. Then at the break of dawn, Samuel called to Saul on the roof up that I may send you on your way. So Saul arose and both he and Samuel went out into the street. We'll save verse 27 for next week. Okay. That's the end of the story. They go for a meal. They're seated in a place of honor. They set aside the leg, which is the priestly portion of the the sacrifice. And they said, we set this aside for you. It's again, showing honor to this future hope of Israel. He's given the best portion. He eats, he sleeps. When he wakes up, Saul's going to send him on his way. The end. Now the story actually will continue next week, I promise. But, um, and we'll pick it up there. But, but I read that this week and I studied that this week. And I thought, what the heck did to some lost donkeys have to do with us? I think the New Testament says, 1 Timothy says that all scripture is breathed and it's profitable and it's useful. So, so if we believe that this is for us, that this is useful for us, what the heck is a story about lost donkeys going to mean to us? How do we apply this? Well, this is what you pay me to do. This is why I get paid to do this, okay? Because this is a story about donkeys. 
But I think there are two applications we can draw from this story. I went through that whole text to get to two applications for us this morning. Let me give those to you. The first application is this. God moves in our ordinary. I say this in multiple, I've said this in multiple sermons, but I'm gonna say it again. God moves in our ordinary lives, in our normal, everyday, seemingly mundane moments, God is at work. God is at work here. This is a case, and it's an example of God's sovereign providence at work in our world. So just think of all the ordinary moments in this story, all the ordinary moments where things line up to move the story forward, okay? It just so happened that some donkeys go missing. And Saul just so happens to pick a specific servant to go with him. And it just so happened that when Saul is ready to quit, the servant just so happens to know about a seer who just so happened to be in the town that they just so happened to show up at. And then they just so happen to have some money show up in their pocket as a gift to give to said seer. And they just so happen upon some girls who tell them to hurry because the seer just so happens to be at that city for a sacrifice. And they just so happen to enter just as the seer who just so happens to be Samuel is exiting the city. And he honors Saul as the answer to the hope of all of Israel. And listen, none of this would have happened if it just so happened that those donkeys hadn't wandered off. You follow me here? All of these little details all the way through this story were on purpose. Now, here's what's so remarkable. Nobody in the story knew what was going on. Nobody knew what was going on. Saul certainly did not know, okay? He didn't wake up that morning and said, man, I feel like something big's gonna happen today, right? He he didn't wake up with this sense of anticipation. Oh boy, today's the day. It's not like a Disney song broke out as soon as that guy started. He wasn't, today wasn't the day for Saul, okay? It didn't just happen like that. It was like, dang, the donkeys got out again? You kidding me? Fine, I'll get a servant. Dad, you know, cares more about the donkeys than he does us, right? Nobody knew. Well, I take that back, okay? One person knew. Samuel. Which is why I said verse 15 is the crux, okay? The day before Saul came, the Lord had revealed to Samuel. That word revealed actually means opened the ears. The Lord had opened the ears of Samuel. But to everybody else, God wasn't up to anything. It was just a bunch of dumb donkeys. What does this tell us? Well, it tells us that what God is often up to is wrapped up in very ordinary things. And thus we have a tendency to overlook it. God moves in our ordinary. I'll tell you uh, my story a little bit. Uh, This summer, this summer of 2021 was my 20th spiritual birthday. So I became a Christian 20 years ago. Uh, Summer of 2001 is when I became a Christian. I was 16, okay? And and before that happened, before I started following the Lord, uh, as a teenager, my life was just kind of a wreck. I was kind of in shambles and it came to a head when I got arrested for shoplifting, okay? Uh, So yes, your pastor has been arrested, And some of you are like, man, I knew I liked this place, right? Like that's, okay. Um, But as I I was arrested, I went before a judge. As a part of my sentence, I had to do 50 hours of community service, okay? 
Uh, and one of the places that I got service hours just so happened to be a church in Colorado Springs, a church called Sunrise Church. And listen, I had no interest in Jesus. I had zero interest in God. I just wanted to get my community service hours and get back to my life. So for my community service, I cleaned the church. I cleaned the church to receive community service hours. The janitor of the church signed off on my sheet, and that was it. I went back to my life until a couple years later. A couple years later, a friend invited me from school. He invited me to go to his youth group with him. And just like out of the blue, he said, hey, you want to come to youth group with me? Go to this youth group. You want to go? And at that point, I was very much agnostic. I don't think I would have been atheist, but I was definitely, if there's a God, he's got nothing to do with my life. I'm not interested. So I was not seeking at all, but my friend invited me and I went with him. And as we pulled up, it just so happened that he went to the Sunrise Church youth group. I hadn't been there since I vacuumed it last, okay? And I wanna be really honest with you. Um, it was the worst, okay? It was the worst youth group. It was so kitschy and lame, okay? It was the most ridiculous thing I'd ever been to. It wasn't cool, okay? It wasn't, there was not an ounce of cool. Uh, the youth group was called Extreme Teens. <laughs> you have to say it like that, okay? Extreme Teens. And every T in the logo was a cross in papyrus font, okay? In the 90s, 1900s, okay? You following me here? That's what's going on. They would sing songs in this youth group Spelling out words. It's not cool, okay? I am a C. I am a CH. I am a CHR. You know, that, that's the song. Now, I was at public school kid, so it took me a, a couple takes to figure out they were spelling Christian, okay? I thought that maybe they were speaking in tongues or something, but, uh, but everything about it, I thought, this is absurd. Is this Saturday Night Live? Like, is this, are somebody being punked here? Like, this is ridiculous. I thought it was absurd. The same year, that same year, a friend, uh, another friend, different friend, invited me to go to Young Life. Any Young Life people in here? Done some Young Life, okay. Uh, it's a Christian club that meets in basements. Okay, uh, that's the best way I know how to describe it, okay. A bunch of people singing songs, listening to some guy teach in a basement. Sounded like a cult, right? So I'm like, I'm in, I'll be there, okay, whatever. So I go to this basement, and I show up, and everybody's taking their shoes off. And we're standing in a sock circle. It's real obnoxious. Uh, obnoxious. But uh, I notice there's a brochure over on a table. I grab the brochure about Young Life, and on the back side of the brochure, there's a picture of the president of the organization, president of Young Life. His name, uh, his name uh, was Denny Rydberg. Now, it was weird because I picked that up. I just so happened to pick that up. And hear me, I just so happened to know Denny. I had never put it together, but I knew Denny because Denny had been my basketball coach the year before. He had been my basketball co coach, and now I'm hearing a message about Jesus in my buddy's basement, and I just so happen to know the president of this organization personally. And as I'm sitting there, I started putting these coincidences together in my head. I just started to mull on it. What are the chances that the place I did my community service was the same church I would be invited to years later? And what are the chances that my basketball coach would turn out to be the leader of a ministry, an international ministry that I end up going to and I hear the gospel presented? And as much as I thought that those groups were lame, the Young Life wasn't much better than the youth group. They just didn't sing I Am a C. They sang Brown Eyed Girl, okay? 
That's the difference. As much as I thought those groups were kind of silly and lame, I just couldn't stop thinking about the coincidence. Could it have been the just so happened or was there more happening there? And after youth group, my friend would say, hey, you want to go next week? And you know, as much as I hated it, I'd be like, well, are they going to sing I Am a Sea again? Yeah, I'll go. Okay, all right. Pick me up at six, okay? But I didn't know it then. But this is called the effectual call of God. God was after me. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon would say, the hound of heaven has your scent. God was wooing me. I just didn't know it. It was just like, hey, there's something here. This can't be mere coincidence. I need to get to to the bottom of this. And it wasn't two more summers later in 2001 that I bowed the knee to Christ. And nothing in my life has ever been the same. 20 years later, everything about the trajectory of my life has changed. Listen, God moves in our ordinary from community service to IMSC. So let me ask you this. Are you not feeling God right now? Do you feel like your spiritual life is maybe a bit drab right now? Does everything feel just kind of like you're chasing some donkeys? Maybe not literally at this point, okay? Let me just say this. God might be right on the cusp of breakthrough. He might be right on the edge of revealing that you're the hope of Israel. Again, not literally. I emphasize the word feel here because I think this might be where we get hung up. I think this might be where we get hung up. It's like, if we don't feel like God's working, then something must be wrong with either us or with him. See, God doesn't always work in the most obvious moments where you're like, oh, look, there he is. There's God. I can feel it. No, uh, often he is much more subtle than that. God often hides his work among the everyday shuffle and routine of life. And it would do you well to start looking for that. You don't see God working in your life right now? Well, this text shows us that he is actually behind all the little details. In the carpet vacuuming, in the beard shaving, in the dinner eating, in the carpooling, in the term paper writing, in the appointment keeping, in those moments of life, God's there. He knows where the donkeys are. Don't miss the hand of the Lord working behind a couple of lost donkeys. That's the first application for us today. Here's the second, okay? The second application for us uh, shows up again in that crux of the passage. So I want to look at it again. Verse 16, look at your text. This is what God said to Samuel. This is what he revealed to him. This is what he uncovered his ears to hear. Verse 16, tomorrow about this time, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin and you shall anoint him to be prince over my people Israel. He shall save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I have seen my people because their cry has come to me. 
there's something that stands out in that passage on repeat, and it's this, these words, my people. You will anoint this kid over my people. He shall save my people. I have seen my people. I have heard the cry of my people. God seems to be very concerned for his people right here. He is acting compassionately towards his people. Now you're like, that's what God's supposed to do. But if it weren't for what we studied last week, we would say, yeah, of course. But last week in chapter eight, here's some questions. Were God's people being faithful to him at this point? in their asking for a king? No. Were God's people heeding the warning that God gave them concerning the, the, the having of a king here? No. Were God's people concerned at all about obeying and trusting in God as their king at this point? No. I mean, look back. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 8, you can just turn back one page. 1 Samuel 8, 7 says this. And the Lord said to Samuel, obey the voice of the people in all that, that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. They have rejected God in their demand for a king. They want their way, not his way, not God's way. And he's going to give them what they want. He's going to provide a king for them. I called that a judgment last week. But listen, even in this judgment, God is concerned. God is compassionate. God is showing mercy. Yes, God moves in our ordinary, but point two, God pursues in our foolishness. He pursues us even when we fail him. In spite of our folly and our stubbornness, our stupidity and our demands, our rebellion and even our sin, the Lord pursues you. He never gives up, it would seem, in that pursuit. God's pursuit of his people, even in their idolatry, is something to marvel at. Now, um, I am an expert at this too. Okay, because uh, once I started going to that youth group, I kept going back, I am a C, I, I learned how to spell. Um, we had a little thing called youth camp. Okay, and so this is for me, youth camp for me was where I became an expert at this stuff, okay? Because Every year I would go to youth camp and it happened the same way every single year. The last night of youth camp, on the last night, the speaker would get up and preach and preach and share the gospel and just kind of preach. And at that point, after a week of youth camp, we were all hopped up on Mountain Dew and Pixie Sticks at that point. We'd have like three, we'd have like three hours of cumulative sleep. And so at that point, we're so delirious, we would have dedicated our life to a Christmas tree, okay? Like we were just hopped up crazy. But last night of youth camp, they, they would play that good kind of emotional worship music, just kind of hits you in the heart. And then the preacher would get up and bring his best gospel presentation and just like call us to believe in Jesus. He'd say, come on, ask Jesus into your heart, rededicate your life to the Lord. And I would do it every single time. Every single year on that last night of camp through like tears and snot and hugs and promises, like I would commit my life or recommit my life, just in case the last year didn't take, right? And I'd say, God, I'm, I'm never going to be the same again. 
I'm going to stop doing some stuff. And listen, I did everything they told me to do. I promised. I made those promises. I came forward. They'd have me write my sins on a piece of paper, right? You ever done this? And then you nail it to a cross or burn them in a can or throw them in a river or bake them in a cake. Like you just do whatever you need to do to get those things out. And then I would make these promises. I'd be like, God, when I get back, like when I get back home, I'm going to break up with her. I'm going to break up with her. I'm going to start obeying them. All right. I'm going to stop doing this or that. I'm going to, I'm going to be a different person. And I'll tell you what, man, I was really good at that for like a week. I would have a couple of good weeks after youth camp, but then slowly the things that I had promised to stop doing started to creep back into my life. And after a month or two, normally I would almost always be back into my previous lifestyle. Anybody been there? Maybe it's not youth group. Maybe it's just church. Maybe it's January 23rd and those resolutions are gone. And I would say, how did I get here again? God, how did I get back here? Dang it, I need, I need youth camp again. How long is it? 11 months? Are you kidding me? I need to feel God. I don't feel him anymore. What happened? And I would feel like I'd let him down. Like he was disappointed with me. God, how would I do this again? I said I would never do it again. Like I'd really just mess things up to the point where if I didn't get back to youth camp, I didn't know what I was going to do. But then listen, I've used this illustration historically here at Fathom, but the way that I started thinking about this was like, what if God ran a Carfax on you? Bob, does Carfax still exist? Sure, okay. You remember that? The Carfax, Carfax commercials? You remember these things? Okay, a Carfax. It's like a history of a car. Before you buy a used car, run the Carfax. Well, it's like God ran a Carfax on you. Before he saved you, he ran a Carfax on you, and it came back, and the report was not good. He ran the Carfax, and it said broken. Been in an accident. Leaking oil. Lemon, lemon, lemon. Do not buy this car. That's what the Carfax said. But it's almost like God got that report and he didn't change his mind about buying you. Like he's not looking to return you to the dealership. He's not going, hey, uh, you sold me a lemon. This one has been broken. I didn't see it before. It looked really great on the lot. But then I got home, the door fell off, started smoking, right? Like I'm just, I'm over this thing. I don't want it anymore. No. The reality is that God knew exactly what he was getting when he got you. He had all the facts. He knew everything past, present, and future, and he knew it, and he still chose you. You hear that? He knows we stumble and bumble. He knows we look like fools and yet he chose you. Israel says, we don't even want you as our king. He says, I'm gonna take care of my people. The message to us over and over and over again in the scriptures is this, I chose you. Yeah, you fell down, get up. I chose you, I've got you. I knew this was coming. I didn't wake up this morning because I don't go to sleep. 
and say, oh my gosh, I can't believe what happened. I've got you. I knew this was coming. Get up. Yeah, you blew it. You blew it again. Get up. All that stuff, I covered it with my blood. Yeah, you got confused again. Yeah, you let pride creep in again. I know. I planned it. Okay, now get up. Let's keep going. I'll get you there. But you got to get up. And then back to the Carfax. He doesn't just buy that junky car and set it in the garage, leaving you in the state that you were. No, he begins a full restoration process until that thing is prime, until it's perfect. Another theological word for you. We call that progressive sanctification. God is making you into the man. He is making you into the woman that you are supposed to be progressively. The best news in the whole world, church, is that God knew exactly what he was getting with you and he still picked you. If that's not the best news in the world, I mean, I'd love to hear something better than that, but he knew you and he still loved you. Isn't that our greatest fear? If people really knew me, how could they? Well, he really does and he still did. This is the good news. He pursues us in our foolishness. So this is a story about lost donkeys. But it's also more than that, right? It is about lost donkeys, but it also shows us that in the everyday, ordinary movement of our lives, God is there. He's moving. He's doing things. Providentially, his hand is at work. And that also God is pursuing us in our foolishness. Even when we outright reject him, He's still there and he's still calling and he's still wooing and he's still saving. And maybe today you're doubting his love for you. Like you're doubting God's love for you because you don't feel him right now. You don't sense him working right now. You don't see, you can't see what he is up to. But maybe that's because you need to stop looking for the big things. Like maybe you need to start looking in your everyday life just because you don't feel God doesn't mean he's not working. What if all the just so happened things in your life are a part of God's perfect plan for you? God moves in our ordinary. Maybe you're doubting God's love for you because you feel like you've let him down. You've been foolish in some areas in your life. You're like, there's just no way he would want me anymore. There's just no way after all that I've done, after I've let him down again and again and again and again, and at some point you think he's just got to get out of his mind irritated with me and back away. And again, if that's you, I just want to say, it doesn't matter what you've done. I don't care what you have done. I don't care what you would want to lay before me today. God is in relentless pursuit of his people. He will stop at nothing to get you back. He says, get up. You feel like that beater car? Get up. God knows you. He chose you. All those dents, all those scratches, all those dings, leaking oil, everything there that come with you, all you have to do is just say, 
I need you again. I want you as my Savior. I want you as my Lord. Get up. What do we learn from a couple of lost donkeys? That God is moving and that God is pursuing. Let's pray. Lord, I'm thankful for this text. I wasn't so thankful for it on Monday, but I'm thankful for it today because it's exactly what I need to hear. And I would guess it's exactly what many of us need to hear. Because in my everyday, in my ordinary, in my waking up and eating something and going to work and coming home and playing something with my daughter, eating something else and going to sleep and then rinse and repeat, and in that ordinary, I need you to show up. In that ordinary, I need to know that you're there. In that ordinary, I need to be reminded that you are working and you are behind these things. And then when I fall on my face like I am prone to do, when I wander from you as I am prone to do, when I continually in my mind let you down and disappoint you as I am prone to do, God, that you love me still that you know, you knew providentially all the things that I would be, all the things that I would do, all the ways that I would sin and that you still chose me. I pray for, for each one of us today, wherever we might land this morning, whether we disbelieve you because we don't feel you or whether we disbelieve you because we feel like we've let you down, Lord, I pray that through the power of the Holy Spirit, you would remind those who are sons and daughters of the King that you are relentless in your love and your pursuit of us. Call us to that truth. Remind us of that truth, Spirit. Thank you for this passage about donkeys, but that's not about donkeys. We love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit.